Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we amplify your brain with weird and wonderful science. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this special guitar engineering edition, Lachlan Watmore pays tribute to guitar pioneer Les Paul and Luke Coffey builds a robotic guitar. Les Paul was a legendary musician and pioneer of the solid body electric guitar who died at age 94 in 2009. Here's Lachlan Watmore's tribute from 2009. I was only 12, or maybe 13, when I saw and heard this. screen a young English guitar wizard was playing a beautiful orange sunburst instrument with such skill and flair that I was mesmerized by his blurred fingers on the dark rosewood fretboard. The young man's name was Jimmy Page, the band's name Led Zeppelin and the guitar was and is called the Gibson Les Paul. Last month, we lost the man, Les Paul, and the world of electric music is poorer for it. Until he died, few people knew about the amazing contribution to modern music he made. Les didn't just help develop the most beautiful as well as the most powerful solid-body electric guitar. He also invented multi-track recording and overdubbing and made a huge contribution to the development of instrumental effects. Oh, and let's not forget that he was a talented guitarist himself. Here he is. As you can hear, Les had the freakish ability to play eight guitars at once. Well, not really. This piece of music is called Lover and is believed to be the first ever multi-track recording. All the guitar parts you can hear are played by Les. Lester William Polsfus was born in 1915 in the American Midwest and was a professional musician before he turned 20. He played with all the great jazz greats of the pre-war era, including Bing Crosby and the late, great Louis Satchmo Armstrong, the greatest musician of the 20th century. He also had a preoccupation with gadgets, and by age 10 had invented a harmonica holder from a coat hanger, which held a blues harp to his mouth while he played the guitar. This design is still manufactured today. Les cut his teeth musically before the Second World War, and like many guitarists of the period, was dissatisfied with the technology available. Amplified guitars tended to screech and squawk with feedback, and a pickup attached to a guitar would vibrate and distort the sound. Les reasoned that a solid body guitar would overcome this, so he sliced an Epiphone acoustic guitar down the middle, removed its neck, grabbed a piece of 4x4 pine wood, attached a guitar neck at one end and a bridge pickups and output jack at the other, glued the two body halves of the Epiphone to the piece of pine purely for aesthetic value, and thus invented the Les Paul Log regarded as the world's first solid-body electric guitar and certainly one of the world's ugliest instruments. 
check it out on the net if you don't believe me. Quick word about pickups. Pickups are not microphones, they are electromagnetic transducers. They work by creating a magnetic field around the strings, and when the string is plucked, the magnetic field's lines of force are interrupted. This sends electrical pulses to a coil of thin copper wire, wound several thousand times around the base of the pickup, and the pulses correspond to the frequency of the note. So, for example, the frequency of a concert A is 440 cycles per second. So a string tuned to concert A will vibrate at 400 figure eights per second, the copper coil will transmit 400 pulses per second, the amplifier will receive 400 pulses per second and convert that electrical energy back into a concert A. The reason that the log was significant was because it took away all of the guitar's resonance and thus devoted most of its energy to sustaining the note. That's what Les wanted, not for the guitar itself to shape the note, but for a more pure, sustained electronic signal that could be shaped once it left the guitar. This philosophy set the scene for electric guitar setups unto this day and explains the great versatility of the instrument from to to not to mention and Oh, and let's not forget... In 1948, Leo Fender and the Fender Electrical Musical Instrument Corporation produced the Fender Telecaster, the first mass-manufactured solid body, and the Gibson Guitar Corporation, who had been making high-end, expensive guitars since the 19th century, realised they had to catch up to grab a slice of the booming post-war market. The Gibson president, Ted McCarty approached Les Paul about developing a solid-body electric that would be the top-of-the-range answer to Fender's cheaper, working-man's Telecaster. Les and Ted went through about 50 prototypes before they settled on the new design, a classic single-cutaway shape with a carved cap or top, the first of its kind. It was made of two different woods, mahogany for the main body and maple for the cap. This made it quite heavy, much more so than the purely maple Telecaster and later Stratocaster. The heaviness meant density, and density meant sustain. Les had insisted on no less than a 20-second sustain, and the new guitar delivered, prompting Nigel Tufnell of Spinal Tap years later to comment... Listen, how much is this? Just listen for a minute. The sustain, listen to it. I'm not hearing anything. You would, though, if it were playing, because it really... It's famous for its sustain. I mean, you can just hold it... Well, I mean, so you'd have to... You can go go and have a bite. No, you'd still be hearing that one. The Gibson Les Paul made its debut in 1952, originally with single-coil pickups. However, Ted McCarty and a Gibson employee called Seth Lover had developed double-coil pickups known as humbuckers. Two coils of wire, wound in opposite directions to each other, sat under the magnets, and each coil cancelled the other's stage buzz, or hum, to which single-coil pickup was prone. Playing a single-coil setup in certain conditions, say, under a fluorotube, produced interference, and the amplifier would hum slightly. So the new pickups bucked the hum, hence the name. A result of this was that the guitar now delivered a very powerful signal to the amplifier because now both coils produced a pulse. This wasn't so good if you wanted a sweet, clean sound, but it was great if you wanted the guitar to overload and distort, or as they say in the biz, crunch. In 1965, the new rock and roll had already developed into different genres, such as pop and rockabilly. Guitarists were rediscovering the blues roots of rock and roll and this more blues-orientated music would soon be called simply rock. 
One of these guitarists was a young Eric Clapton, who soon realised the potential of the Les Paul when coupled with Jim Marshall's new series of amplifiers, comprising great valve-driven speaker cabinets with serious grunt. These go to 11. Clapton was playing with a band called the Yardbirds at the time. In 1968, the old Yardbirds broke up, and the new Yardbirds, comprising Jimmy Page, John Paul Jones, Robert Plant and John Bonham, finished the old band's contractual obligations and changed their name to Led Zeppelin. Page, by this stage, was using a 1952 Les Paul almost exclusively, the humbuckers and associated effects producing Zeppelin's characteristic... Well, this... In the next instalment, I'm going to have a look at Les Paul's contributions to recording technology. So if you'll pardon the pun, stay tuned. Good evening. You're listening to Ian Wolf on Diffusion Science Radio. Science at diffusionradio.com. Brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. It's the Les Paul Show. As you may know, the world of electric music has lost its messiah. The great guitarist and recording innovator Les Paul died a few weeks ago, and I wasn't surprised to find myself quite upset. To me, Les has always been embodied by his most beautiful creation, the Gibson Les Paul electric guitar, made famous by the likes of Eric Clapton, Jimmy Page, Slash, Peter Green, Steve Miller, Neil Young, Ace Frehley, David Gersh, and a whole lot of other guys. However, it wasn't until Les died that I found out his contribution to recording technology. In case you missed the first instalment, here's Les himself. All the guitar parts that you can hear are being played by Les. This is regarded as the world's first multi-track recording, and if you ask me, that's some fine production there, sir. As I mentioned, Les had an obsession with gadgets. When he was just 10 years old, he invented a harmonica holder, which is still manufactured today. So it's hardly surprising that he was rarely satisfied with the technology available to the up-and-coming electric musician, and one of his greatest contributions to modern music was his invention of multi-track recording. Our story starts in Europe in the closing days of the Second World War. A young electronics engineer called Jack Mullen was sent by Allied High Command to find out all he could about German electronics. By chance, he found himself at a radio station, which he quietly relieved of two magnetophon reel-to-reel tape recorders and 50 spools of plastic tape. At the time, the magnetophon was state-of-the-art and was classified top secret by the Nazis. Mullen shipped his booty home with an idea to developing a sound recording system for Hollywood. In this digital age, tape recording seems obsolete because it basically is. However, in the late 40s, the magnetophon caused a sensation because of its amazing fidelity. When Mullen demonstrated it to some Hollywood sound techs, many couldn't tell the difference between a live and a recorded performance. 
It wasn't long before Mullen was demonstrating his system to none other than the crooner Bing Crosby, who just happened to be good mates with a guitarist called Les Paul. In the fullness of time, Crosby and Mullen had invested $50,000, a small fortune at the time, in a small company called Ampex, which began producing their own version of the magnetophone. And Crosby gave Les only the second machine to roll out of the shop after keeping the first for himself. Now, just in case you can't remember or weren't born during the era of tape recording, and man, don't I feel old right now, West, get that look off your face, recording tape consists of a plastic tape impregnated with iron, ferric or chromium oxide particles. When exposed to a magnetic field, those particles will orientate themselves in a certain way and will stay that way until another magnetic field acts on them. So a tape recorder works by taking a certain sound, translating that into a certain magnetic field, orientating the oxide particles in a way corresponding to the field, and during playback, doing the whole thing in reverse, extracting the information from the tape by creating a magnetic field according to its particles orientation, and thus reproducing the sound. Now, if the tape is wide enough, several recordings, known as tracks, can be made on the one piece of tape. For example, a big one-inch wide, high-quality tape can hold 16 tracks across its width, each one capable of being recorded, played back, and if necessary, erased without affecting the other tracks. This is done using a recording head and a playback head. Within hours of receiving his new Ampex, Les had a brainwave. What if you added another playback head that would play another track on the tape, which would enable the musician to record a new track while playing along with something he or she had put on the first track. Or in other words, musicians could add layers of themselves, giving the impression that they had the freakish ability, ability to play, to play multiple, multiple instruments, instruments at, at once. once. Les began to experiment. This wasn't his first attempt at multi-tracking. One technique before he got his Ampex had involved him using a big pile of acetate recording discs, recording the first track onto one, playing that back and playing along with it to record onto a second disc, then playing that back and playing along with it onto a third, and so on until he had an eight-part recording. This was wasteful because the discs could only be used once, was stressful because Les had to get the guitar part right the first time with every take, and the sound was pretty poor because by the time the last disc had been cut, the first guitar track was now a recording of 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 a recording. So multi-track tape provided a quantum leap in the technology. Les and his wife, the singer Mary Ford, began releasing multi-track recordings, starting with the instrumental Lover. Les didn't just multi-track his guitar parts, he also multi-tracked Mary. Here she is. I'm sitting on top of the world, just rolling along. In 1953, Ampex presented Les with its first 8-track machine. Soon, not just Les and Crosby, but also the likes of Nat King Cole and a young Elvis Presley were using multi-track techniques in the studio. With the birth of the noisy new baby called rock and roll, jazz fell out of fashion and Les never had a major hit with an 8-track recording. This was a low point in his life. He and Mary were divorcing and he didn't even touch a guitar for a while. However, he returned to the jazz circuit in the mid-70s and played the Iridium Club in Manhattan every Monday night right up until his death. And right up until he died, Les kept fooling his audiences with what I think is a fictitious device called the Les Pulverizer. The Les Pulverizer consisted of a little black box attached to the bottom of his heavily modified Gibson. Les claimed that it could multiply a live guitarist and indeed gave some pretty convincing demonstrations, which you can find on YouTube, apparently even replacing the drummer by thumping on the strings and playing multiple guitar parts over it. 
In reality, it would appear the Les Paul Verizon was simply an off-stage tape recorder that could be turned off and on by the knobs on the little black box. Some less kind commentators have claimed the other guitar parts were already pre-recorded. However, this didn't stop none other than President Dwight David Eisenhower turn to his Vice President, Richard Milhouse Nixon, after they'd both seen Les perform, and say, that Les Paul bothers me. I still can't work out the Les Paul Verizon. So if the Les Paul Verizon was actually a newfangled piece of gear, its secret died with Les. And Les, wherever you are, mate, I hope you're having a good laugh about it. Happily, Les was given full credit for all his inventions before he died. He and Leo Fender are the only two people to have their own standalone exhibits in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is pretty funny when you consider that Les played jazz, not rock, and Leo couldn't play at all. However, their legacy remains, and I was reminded of this a few weeks back when I saw Alice Cooper perform just after Les had died. His very first song involved both his guitarists playing a Les Paul each in a fitting tribute to the man and... His guitar. Hello there. Well, I still have my guitar hanging around my neck and my wife, Mary. Hi. And uh, my invention, the less pulverizer, I have that on oh, the floor. Oh, no, you're not going to start fooling around with that thing again, are you? I want to I I try something here by beating on the strings. Sound like a drum, see, and getting my foot going like this. Say, <laughs> you're really busy. You get the beat going, and then we plug one guitar into the Les Pulverizer. Well, listen. subject of guitar engineering from 2018, here's Luke Coffey with his robotic guitar. Luke is a final year undergraduate mechatronic engineer at the University of Technology, Sydney. I met him in the busy engineering faculty lunchroom 
and began by asking him, have you built a robot that plays guitar? Well, it's not a guitar playing robot, it's a robotic guitar. So essentially what I've done is taken a guitar, ripped it apart in a thousand different pieces and then put it back together with a bunch of motors around it so that it can play and pluck the strings like a human would. And how many strings does it pluck? Six strings. And can it do chords as well as plucking? So the way I designed it was I designed a single system to work on one string so that it can both pluck an individual string and then I copied and pasted that system six times so that it can do chords, it can do plucking, it can do a whole range of different things on a, like a normal human would be able to do on a guitar. And how does it sound? Right now it doesn't sound so good. It's, I've currently finished my first prototype. It, I've had some health issues along the way, so I haven't been able to finish it as good as I would have hoped. But at the moment, it's a good working prototype. It's a bit slow, and I know where the improvements can be made, so it's just a matter of continuing to reiterate so that eventually it will be able to play just like a normal guitarist and hopefully eventually play through the fire and the flames. So right now it doesn't sound so good? Right now it doesn't sound so good. It can play some really slow basic songs, but for a first prototype I'm pretty happy with it. And what inspired this project? Um, originally, probably about a year ago, I was sitting down thinking, what am I going to do for my thesis? had no idea. Then I was like, music and robots sound fun. So then I decided, I just sat down, had a look on YouTube, just saw what was out there, and then I found a thing called Animusic which is essentially animated musical robots and it's a large it's a company i think it's based out of america and they do a whole range of animations and i saw this one called i think it was called resonant chamber where it was a giant robot guitar animated and it looked amazing and i was like i want to make that and what's controlling the robot at the moment, the hardware, so all the motors and actuators on each of the systems, is controlled by an Arduino. And then, there's, since there's six systems, there's one Arduino per system, so I've got a Raspberry Pi controlling each of those Arduinos to do all the timing. So six Raspberry Pis and Arduinos? No, no, sorry. Um, so six Arduinos and one Raspberry Pi controlling those Arduinos is like the, the master. And what language are you programming it in? The Raspberry Pi is in um, C++ and some Python, and the Arduino is just the Arduino language. And it's all just on Linux? Um, the Raspberry Pi is on Linux, and the Arduinos, I've just programmed them on my laptop in Windows. And how long has it taken you to get this far with the robot? Well, I, my thesis is actually a year long, so I technically started about January, when I actually started, probably about two, three months to get this prototype. So I wasted a lot of time doing nothing. And it, I probably could have iterated a couple more times to get a much better prototype if I hadn't have wasted an entire semester. But I probably spent a good two or three months straight working on it. And th this is what I got out of two or three months work, which is pretty good for a first prototype. So I'm happy with it. And what do you want to do with it in the future? Um, in the future, if I can get some funding and to continue to iterate it, I want to take it busking because who wouldn't want to see a robot busking, to be honest? I'm hoping to, I've got a few different organisations that might be interested in having it in their foyers and potentially maybe even kickstart a robot band and go on a tour. 
So in your robot band in the future, what other instruments would you roboticize? Well, I can pretty much roboticize now that I understand any stringed instrument. So I could make bass, electric guitar, piano is pretty easy. I was thinking of doing piano, a piano robot originally, but it didn't seem as more. It didn't seem as interesting to me or difficult compared to a guitar robot. And then drums, which is just bang, bang, bang. So I don't think the drum robot would be too difficult. And obviously you're a musician before you started the project. I don't play guitar. I play a little bit of piano, but I'm not actually a musician. So it was quite, it was quite an interesting experience going from never playing a guitar ever in my life to building something to play it. Would you learn it? Do you think learning to play it yourself would help you program it better? Absolutely. And I'm actually going to be learning how to play guitar after I finish my thesis. <laughs> are you going to take lessons or are you going to do an online course? I'm just going to do an online course and self-teach. That's how I learn piano and I'm pretty decent at piano. Is there anything you'd like to add? Just for anybody listening out there, if you want to get on board, work on the project or potentially want to help fund it so you can see the project move forward, just contact Ian or I'm We'll potentially have a website one day. I don't have one at the moment. But just get a hold of me and we'll see what we can do. I'd love to talk to you guys. And are there any projects coming up once this is finished, now that your thesis is about done? Um, For me personally, I'm working on a startup at the moment. I'm still not sure 100% what that is. But I've got a few different engineering projects lined up and I've got a few different engineering students who I know who are interested in working on them so just a whole range of different small things that I'm trying to do one at a time so I've got a little security system that kind of tracks people walking around um, a mushroom growing box actually so I'm really keen on that one <laughs> and just a few different little projects like that I've actually got another musical project I'm thinking of that incorporates a bunch of sensors you put in your hands and then you can move your hands around and actually create music out of that so I think that'd be pretty cool to play around with. Well, Luke, thank you very much. Ah, it was a pleasure being here, and thanks for having me. was Luke Coffey and his robotic guitar. Check the YouTube channel for videos of the robot. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please subscribe to the Diffusion Science Radio channel on youtube.com slash c slash diffusion radio and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at EMWolf. 
I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8CCC in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Los Angeles, Tasmania, and 2XXFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in Northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links, photos, and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labeled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf or join my patrons at patreon.com slash Diffusion Radio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick, everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man, knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits, photography, collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.